Hi, and welcome back to the first ever episode of The Johnny Book Show, starring Steve. I'm Steve. Uh, Today's show is a travel trail through Paris based around the Louvre. I'll go from the Tuileries Gardens to Angelina Cafe inside the Louvre to the museum part of the Louvre to relaxing at the gardens of the Palais Royal. And we are broadcasting live today from the trailhead at the Tuileries Gardens, otherwise known as the Louvre's front yard. But before I start, I'm sorry, can I help you? No, this this isn't the Louvre. This is a, a makeshift Johnny Book studio that we set up here at the Tuileries Gardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's always nice to meet a fan. Yeah, the Louvre's that way through the uh, glass triangle. Mm-hmm. All right, enjoy your day. I, I would, before we start, like to take some time from you, if you'd be generous enough, to introduce you to some of my new friends. Uh, if they'll have me as a new friend, because at Johnny Book, we are about combining the tourist destinations with authentic culture. And authentic culture means you have to find the locals. And for those of you tuning in via podcast, we're just looking out the window of this pop-up studio that the producers here at Johnny Book set up at the Tuileries Gardens before my arrival. Uh, And just in this one random window, looking out from my studio in Paris, we can see all the somethings that Parisians put into their nothings. This is important because... It's like my uncle used to say when my cousins and I used to do something stupid or dangerous or both at the ranch and we used to jump into the Brahmin bullpen and slap it on the butt and run and jump headfirst over the barbed wire fence uh, to escape it and my uncle would end his short lectures with, I can tell it to you, but I can't learn it for you. And that's Parisians to me. You're always just trying to show us, not tell us how to do nothing with meaning. So let's learn and not be told from these random, uh, sort of real-time, you know, Parisians being Parisians outside the window here at our Johnny Book studio uh, in the Tuileries Gardens. And let's absorb how they cram all that nothing cram. And, you know, for those of you joining us via podcast, let me set the scene here. So my friend Claude outside, my new friend, he's strolling uh, down the sort of caliche path here with his red pant, his slip-on casual shoes, sleeves unevenly rolled up to the elbows, strolling alongside his lady friend. And she's got this sort of high black skirt, uh, two-top-ish top, almost a, a boat shoe slash sneaker. I don't mean to label love because it's not very Parisian to label love, so I don't, I don't want to label her, his girlfriend, or anything like that, but but they are starting their nothing where so many great Parisian nothings start in a garden. It's typical Parisian style. Look at that nothing fashion. Only Parisians dress for their nothings with a style that the rest of us can't pull off with our biggest somethings. Like if you had your richest, most famous American actress, and she used half of that $10 million per movie salary to buy the best makeup artist and designer to doll her up into the pinnacle of what a person can be glamorized to be in this country for the Oscars. Then, if, on that red carpet, a Parisian girl wiggled her way past the cameras, it would somehow look in the opposite effect of our actress, as though that Parisian girl woke up that morning 
threw on without looking, the clothes nearest to her, and her hair messy but defined because that's how she woke up. And then at lunch in a cafe and during casual conversation with her childhood friend went, Oh shit, it's the Oscars today. I'll swing by. After a bit of creme brulee. If I have time. I forgot about that. You have to make it look like whatever it is you're doing that day happens to you so often because you're that cool that you didn't even bother to think about your style for this something that is really a nothing because it also happened yesterday. Why would you be bothered to try harder than reaching into your dryer halfway through the permanent press cycle and snatching whatever because yeah, you're going to the Oscars tonight but you also went last night and the night before that there's a shirtless guy in the Tulare's Gardens behind me uh, for those of you joining us via podcast. His name is Pierre. You might not be impressed. And you're right. I'm sure that you do come across people sunbathing in lounge chairs at your local neighborhood pool. Noodles and water toys and towels. And flip-flops piled up beside them. But is your neighborhood pool in the front yard of a fortress turned French King Castle turned world's most famous museum? Is the security for where you sunbathe inside a glass pyramid which secretly marks the spot of the Holy Grail? Or is it a small office with an open window awkwardly blowing out AC and manned by teenage lifeguards with Navy SEAL complexes who may or may not be looking up at you or who may be asleep, but who can tell with their pitch black sunglasses and whose offices secretly mark the location of the lost and found other people's moldy noodles. That's why I tell you how I combine the tourist sites, which, let's face it, you are going to see anyway, with authentic culture, like how a Parisian strolls a path with more style than an Oscar nominee walks a red carpet. And we're going to start with one of the most visited tourist destinations in Europe. The Louvre. Don't take my word for it. David McCulloch wrote of a few other visitors who authenticate this place as stone-cold cool. If you're interested in reading, which dives a bit deeper into the Louvre, the Tuileries Gardens, and the Palais Royal, all within a few minutes of each other, check out David McCulloch's book, The Greater Journey, Americans in Paris. It will scuba dive you down to those depths. And after all, we're not the first ones to have the idea to stroll the Tulare's Gardens and the architecture and the Louvre and its great paintings. David mentions, for instance, Catherine de' Medici. So the Queen of Kings built her home here. And basically, she owned a plot of land called the world. If that tells you something of the beauty of this place. Called the Tulare's Palace. It was destroyed in a fire. Uh, Catherine's uncle was the Pope. She married King Henry, the King of France. She commissioned the first ballet, but I do struggle with my opinion of her. I always have. She's somehow related to pretty much everything you do in France, so it's hard to know about her. It all comes down to whether she orchestrated the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of French Protestants in 1572 to me. Everybody has their own opinion. 
Some say it was the Guy's Brothers. I don't know. I did read a sensational novel on this, uh, The Column of Fire by Ken Follett, which was a great insight into the realities of living at the time. And it is funny how only fiction can put you into somebody else's reality, which is why it's so important to read fiction. Oliver Wendell Holmes, David mentions, uh, he strolled the area, was a notable poet and physician, and he wrote that the Palais Royal was the great center of luxury and splendor of Paris, and that the Palais Royal was to Paris what Paris was to Europe. American painter George Healy did a portrait of King Louis-Philippe in Tuileries Gardens. Tom Thumb, P.T. Barnum strolled here. Harriet Breacher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. She wrote in her journal here at Tuileries Gardens. Uh, let's see, another little bit that David mentions about the place. Uh, it was an artillery park when the Germans surrounded Paris in 1870 and trapped two million people inside when Parisians resorted to eating rats and sparrows, which I'm sure they made better than everybody else. Nathaniel Willis met Morse and James Fitmanor Cooper here on at least one occasion, according to David. Charles Sumner strolled here, the anti-slavery senator from Massachusetts. He was a radical Republican during the Civil War. I'm not sure if he strolled the gardens of this area before or after he was caned for his anti-slavery speech. I like to think he was inspired in Paris to give a speech like that. Uh, because what's more Johnny Book than relating an anti-slavery senator with gardens in Paris and a hot chocolate? with Coco Chanel at Angelina Cafe in the world's greatest art. You know what they say, that's so Johnny Book. So after we leave the trailhead, the first waypoint on this Johnny Book trail that we're going to head for is Angelina Cafe inside the Louvre for views of Paris and hot chocolate with Coco Chanel. Angelina has a few locations and the one we're after is the one inside the Louvre. It used to open at 10 a.m. I'm not sure what will happen after this. I'm not even going to say its name, but anybody who's been alive in 2020 knows what I'm talking about. But once it all reopens, I'm not sure when they'll open. But uh, if you're early to Angelina Cafe inside the Louvre, it's not a big deal. You're in the Louvre. So gander around. Plus, they call Paris a city of lights, not the city of lines. So if you don't have a Paris museum pass, then you and I are going to be standing in the line at the Louvre as early as possible. The museum opens at 9 a.m. So if that's when you want to meet in line or even earlier, I wouldn't tell you no. I'll just say get there as early as possible. Pack other stops into Paris after the Louvre. And bring caffeine. It's a well-known cure for mob migraine, or MM, as those of us in the travel biz call it. I did time the line once. I arrived at 10 a.m. on a weekend and spent 45 minutes winding my way to the glass pyramid. It only grows as a day grows, and I don't want to demoralize you, but the line you see at the Louvre's courtyard leading up to the glass pyramid is the line to security. In actuality, the line to get the tickets is underground once you get through security. 
But don't despair. That's why you have me. Every time I've been, the lines underground are long for the ticket booths, but short for the very easy, self-explanatory, self-serving ticket kiosks. People will stare, wonder what you're doing, and then flock in line behind you at the ticket kiosk. Either way, you still need to get tickets to the museum itself once you're past security. I was just really demoralized the first time I did the Louvre and realized that. Stood in line, got to the glass pyramid, thought, I'm in. No, that was just a line of security. Still had to get your tickets. And I'm not saying that this fly ball is coming for you, but, you know, heads up anyway. It just, it's nice to know beforehand, before you get sucker punched in the stomach, wind knocked out of you, like me. First time I went to the Louvre. So then you got your tickets. Uh, the mob will flash flood down the halls for the Mona Lisa. But you and I are going to follow the signs for Angelina. A cafe Angelina, you and I are going to ask to sit outside on the roof terrace. Sitting inside is rad too, of course, but mostly just talk to them. If there's a wait, there's a wait. Like I said, you're at the Louvre. No big deal. Coco Chanel was a regular at Cafe Angelina, and now they have one at the Louvre. So we're going to order a hot chocolate for her, and I'll share it while we look out over the Tuileries Gardens and through the Eiffel Tower in the distance on a clear day and upon the Arc de Triomphe du Carousel, which is that little mini Arc de Triomphe. Uh, and it was a shooting location for the movie Funny Face, where Audrey Hepburn took the pictures with the balloons. Anyway, those photos, shown in the movie Funny Face, turned out better than any of the modern, sharper-than-real-life, in-line 20K cameras. And which is why I say, when people ask, and I'm not being smug, I'm not being smug, when I say the best camera is the one that you've got. And you know, we still haven't reached where we were in film before digital. So get the shot. It's fine. If tomorrow some digital camera company had a press release that they had some super duper new digital camera, if the little picture they inserted into the article as a sample of what this new camera can do had the same picture quality as the intro scene of Breakfast at Tiffany's in terms of color quality, people would lose their minds. Including me. Just choose a camera the way wizards choose wand hold a few until one feels right and there are sparks and you'll know some of my favorite travel shots have been with the little point and shoots because the few thousand dollar dslrs they get left behind because you don't want to lose it oh anyway where was i okay so the food at angelina is good and you should eat here i mean you're not really there to analyze if a cook left a salmon frying on a pan for 17 seconds too long but the hot chocolate and the views are stunning and worth the hour line wait to get into the Louvre in and of itself. What better way to start the overcrowded Louvre than with a hot chocolate with Coco Chanel? So Coco Chanel may have attended the Angelina down the street, but who cares? Still Angelina, still hot chocolate with Coco Chanel in Paris. Plus, if you eat there, it's a little refreshment of hot cocoa and a coffee, and you get to the Louvre earlier. Beat at least some of the line. 
oh, uh, they do only have like three tables on the rooftop terrace. But if you can't get one, it's no big deal. Coco Chanel never did. It's still gorgeous, and you can't view Paris from the ground anyway. So, fueled with hot chocolate and a delicious bass, Little Rosé, it is now proper to browse the art. The Louvre. My suggestion is that we start at the Grand Gallery. Let's face it. Even though there will be 600 people between you and the art at the Grand Gallery, it is the reason you came to the Louvre. Then, we'll pick two other exhibits, but just stick to two. The human mind can hardly comprehend the genius of one of those paintings, and any of the sculptures could be the subject of a master's thesis, which takes two years to complete. So, at some point, cup is just overflowing, and you're wasting all that vintage wine spilling all over your blouse and staining it and making it sticky. So, then we'll head to the exit doors where we'll step the hell out of this place and right into the Tulare's Gardens where a certain somebody named Paris has been waiting for us. Okay, look, I think we need to talk about something here. And I know it's a question that you've been meaning to ask me. The Louvre, you ponder? I thought Johnny Book was backstreets and locals, culture. I was under the impression that Johnny Book traded in the authentic. Like in that famous black and white photo of you that some passerby, some French Parisian passerby snapped while you were reading Balzac at your favorite table, at your favorite cafe close to St. Sulpice on the front sidewalk. In the sixth, it's true to an extent, and I'm flattered, but the rub lies in the fact that over the course of an average middle class lifetime, two or three trips will be made to Europe. Of those, how many days will you actually spend in Paris? Let's take an average 15-day trip to Europe, where you hammer out five days in Paris, two of those gone for day trips. Then you overnight train to five days in Florence and finish with an hour's train to a couple of days in Rome. Subtract two days for travel, one day for jet lag, and in all of that, you spent two whole actual days, and I mean actual days, doing Paris. Or in many cases, it's less than two days. An afternoon, even. I can't tell you how many emails, texts, whatsapps from students studying abroad. Business trippers saying, we've decided last minute that we are going to take the channel from London to Paris. Because, like, how often are we over here and we only have one day, smiley face, wink, yolo. And the locals do not call it the channel, by the way. It's Eurostar. But I call it the channel. I used to respond with, don't go to the Louvre. That's how I used to respond to the question of what should I do in Paris. Don't go to the Louvre. Don't spend two hours in line, only to be herded through the Grand Gallery like cattle for a glimpse of the Mona Lisa by Da Vinci, even though there are Ninja Turtle paintings like Raphael and Michelangelo and a million other small and cool museums across Paris and in other cool neighborhoods. Two weeks go by. Nothing. Silence. Three weeks. How was Paris? I would ask. Did you get to any of my suggestions? Find some backstreet cafe I can try out next time I'm there. And they would say, Oh, um, 
well, you know, we only had an afternoon, or, well, uh, we, we really only had one day in Paris because the other two days we had day trips planned, and so we really just couldn't do Paris without doing the Louvre. And once we were done with the Louvre, we, we really just had time to go up to the Eiffel Tower, then we had to leave, and that was their day in the most romantic city in the world. First, I don't want anyone to think that I think that the channel isn't cool. And I do call it the channel. Like I said, not the Eurostar. Because you know what that reminds me of? Calling it Eurostar? It's like when Americans call their home country the States. It just... I don't know. I do think the channel is amazing. You are sitting in London one minute, a few episodes of The Office later. You are sitting in Paris, in a cafe. What a sensation. Take the channel. It is cool. But let us look at the realities of what that day trip to Paris via the channel really looks like. Let us assume that you're an early bird. And you get that delicious and succulent and authentic early British worm and get to Paris by 10 a.m. Somebody will say, I'm dying to see the Louvre because it's famous and it has the Mona Lisa and all the other paintings you've ever heard about. But you get to the Louvre. It's not close to the Paris train station, but you make it in good time and your Uber driver was kind of cool and he drops you off at the Place de la Concorde where Marie Antoinette's capital was dictated and more historically important, though, where Andy from the Devil Wears Prada threw her phone into the fountain. By the way, I was just trying to be a good friend. I threw myself over the edge of the fountain to get her phone back. I fished it out, fished out her phone, getting my favorite travel shirt soaking wet because the fountains burst into life right when I was throwing myself into the fountain. And then I yelled and I chased after her. And when I caught up to Andy, I said, I really think you should see your internship with runway to the end. All right? You've come this far just to quit like a few weeks early. It seems wasteful. I mean, am I the only one that... And Andy said, you can accomplish so much more of what you want to accomplish in terms of writing humanist stories in the future if you have this runway internship on your resume and also nobody likes a quitter. She said that she didn't come all this way to Paris for a lecture, but thanks for the waterlogged phone back and now she would have to wait even longer for an upgrade. I was just trying to be a good friend. Anyway, you point out that aptly as you walk through the Tuileries Gardens and the ponds that next time we are definitely staying in Paris longer for a few more days, if not the whole trip. And then you hit the line at the Louvre and you stop and stand there for about an hour. You hit the glass triangle, which the guy in the Da Vinci Code said was a scar on the face of Paris. And then you realize that what you thought was a ticket line was just a security line, but since you know me, you sidestepped the ticket booths and went to the electronic kiosk while everyone looked at you wondering what you knew that they didn't. So now it's new. You shuffle your way past the umbrellas with panda bears on top and you get a glimpse of the Mona Lisa and hold up your iPad and get a picture of it over the crowd of tourists. Check out the Lady Liberty on the raft and that giant one of Napoleon's coronation. Not Napoleon Dynamite, but that would be cool. Topical. And then... Now it's noon, 30, 
after all of the stuff that's in the museums all over the world, even the British Museum, which you've already been to, it's now 1.30 p.m. and somebody has complained enough about eating so you exit and then after walking back through the Tuileries Gardens from whence you came, now it is 2.30 p.m. and one person busts out the guidebook and another busts out TripAdvisor to find some amazing restaurant except when you Google Maps, the number one and two and three places on TripAdvisor, they are 30 minutes away by cab and that is not cheap and they're not even in the same part of town. You find the closest place that looks good, except just like in America where you can find cheap, kitsch, mass-made restaurant chains who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars hiring interior designers to make it look and feel cool and they load Americana up and down the walls and import tufted seating from mass-market producers and make it to where you can take a picture of the surroundings and the record players and say things like, oh, they nailed the decor. Same exists in Paris. For every real antique door, there are four modern doors which have been antiqued. Antiqued. And you end up in one of these places because you saw pictures of it and reviews which said they nailed the decor and it looks so authentically French you can't stand it. And so you go there and look at the stuff some corporate designer decided what it is that you were looking for in interior design based on focus groups and then you order French nails based on cheap accountant decided butter. So now it's 4 p.m. And you have two hours left before your train leaves for England. And so really you only have an hour because you have to be at the channel station 45 minutes early because security there is airport light and so you figure by the time you get a cab or an uber or something and make your way over there it will be 45 minutes and so what if there's traffic because it's rush hour and nobody knows how to do the metro here because it isn't as easy as the tube it isn't so your day in paris the cultural capital of the western hemisphere was standing in line at the louvre seeing a painting from a distance seeing other things that you could have seen in most museums around the world. Bad meal, a burnt out waiter, because anybody would be burnt out dealing with awful tourists all day, and Uber fees. That is why I'm starting this Johnny Book show at the Louvre. It's the hospital where Johnny Book was born, where I realized that I had to give recommendations not ignoring the famous sites, but incorporating those famous sites. People we're going to see them anyway. So I started combining the famous sites into one larger moment or afternoon or morning, not ignoring them, but combining the famous sites with authentic culture instead of trying to convince people to do one or the other. It takes all the pressure off, all the regret off, all the looks of, are you serious? Don't go to the Louvre? Off. As soon as I started combining tourist sites with the backstreet, cool kid, authentic culture sites, people got the famous sites out of their system and then replaced their systems with the realness of the amazing, authentic places which still exist in droves in Europe. And that is who Johnny Book is. By the way, don't think I didn't do it the other way. Don't think I didn't try answering the what should I do with my one weekend or day in Paris with obscure travel recommendations. On back streets, after pleading with you not to do the Louvre. It's like a romantic date, was my clever analogy. You wouldn't just stand in line, 
and stand on your tippy toes for a glimpse of a beautiful girl, snap an iPhone picture of her, and then leave and post a picture of your date with the hashtag Paris living, y'all. No, you'd spend time with her. Not in line, but on the grass, in a park, in a cafe. Converse. Learn a little bit from each other as the courtship continues. Paris will spend time with you if you do it right. But make no mistake about it. If we're comparing Paris to a date, Paris is like the prom queen who was also valedictorian and is going to Harvard next semester on a full scholarship. She will either ignore you and your lacking and inarticulate sensibilities, or she will give you the most stimulating evening of your life. But it will be one or the other. There is no middle ground with a girl like Paris. Just show yourself to be a bit sensual, aware of your surroundings, polite but not false or shallow, and willing to experience new things and to be taught new things. Then you and Paris will have the time of your lives together. Otherwise, she will spit you out. Herein lies the birth and reason for my alter ego whose name is Johnny Book. Because never again will I, after hearing nothing for weeks on end about your trip to Europe, get a message back saying, Oh, I know I said not to, but I took the channel over with my friend who was an art history major and she just couldn't imagine not going to the Louvre. And you know, by the time we got through the line and saw the Mona Lisa, it was 1 p.m. and our flight left at 7 p.m. So we were just, we just grabbed a, a quick bite near the museum. I can't remember where. I know you're going to ask. Sorry. So, we are going to start this day in Johnny Book, not in a park, not in an edgy cafe, but based around the queen of popular touristy museums, the Louvre. So now we move to the history of the Louvre in a segment I like to call History in One Breath. But much can happen in 800 years in a city that prides itself on being the cutting edge of social progress. So here we go. The Louvre starts life in the 1100s as a fortress for King Philip II of France, who was scared of the English back when fortified walls worked against sticks with pointy ends, and then when said walls no longer worked against exploding cannonballs, it became, like many of the best museums in Europe, a big F.U. mansion. In that case, it was the King of France's house when, in 1526, he made the Louvre Castle his main residence in Paris. When Louis XIV, in 1682, moved to an even bigger F.U. house, the Palace of Versailles, he left the Louvre to display the royal art. The French revolutionaries opened it as a public museum when, after chopping off a few heads in front of the Louvre, they looked behind themselves and said, What are we going to do with that big old thing? Ugh. Phew. Ugh. What's cool is you can still see the sort of rampart bases and drawbridge parts of the original Louvre. That's pretty cool. Uh, drawbridges? Huh? The Louvre has a YouTube channel with a wonderful video explaining the history of the architecture. I'll link below. Now for the trail exit. The Palais Royale. After the mob at the Louvre, I'm desperate for peace and quiet. So I take a hard right out of the exit doors of the Louvre and make my way through the Tuileries Gardens for the garden at Palais Royal. Speaking of Paris, you know what I love about this wonderful city? There aren't many cities in the world where you answer the question, 
how do you get to one of the most beautiful parks in the world with the answer through one of the most beautiful parks in the world only in Paris historians believe this is the exact path that originated the term parkway here I'm gonna do something a little bit different I'm going to switch languages I'm gonna speak a little French uh, actually it's modified French because I wish for your time in Paris to be as easy as possible so I have taken painstaking measures to consult with world linguistic experts and have carefully purposefully morphed my perfect French accent into that which most Americans can easily understand and I, you probably already picked up on that through this show and been very thankful of that to this point so we cross and remember this is modified French so that you can understand it because I, I want you to be able to read French language and understand what I'm, you know, it is my job to make travel as enjoyable of an experience as possible. And so I just wanted, I spent a lot of time making my French as, as Americanized as possible because it's about understanding. So after the Louvre, we are going to cross Rue de Rivoli, take a quick right on Rue Saint Honore, a quick left on Rue de Valois, and then you are pretty much at Le Palais Royal. And it is a quiet and relaxing garden. There's hardly anyone here on most occasions, except for those in the know, which now includes you, because you have me. The garden is a rectangle that is surrounded by delicious restaurants of your choosing, tucked into pretty much every corner bordering this quiet post-mob oasis. Under the trees here is a place to eat and to catch up with Paris. And if you ask me, the number one mistake people make when traveling is that they plan a whole lot of beginnings, but your exit is just as important as your entrance, if not more so, like how you plan when you get to a museum, but you don't plan when to leave. So you just linger and linger like a snowman that gets dirty on the curb and there's brown weeds growing through it. It's the same when you linger in the crowds of the loo for far too long. It affects you, which leads me speaking of history to another segment a history of the palais royale reduced to one breath and i do it again <sighs> the palais royale was built for the bad guy in the three musketeers cardinal richelieu in 1639 then when that dude died it was the sun king's louis the 13th and he died and it was louis the 14th mom's home what do you call the queen mother of the sun king the sun queen mother anyway her name was anne of austria or anne of the sun more like i'm slaying with these sun king jokes topical anyway she then moved to a little place called versailles louis the 15th gave it to his brother's daughter-in-law she was louis the 14th illegitimate daughter from the marquis de montespan the first of louis the 14th mistresses you wanted to punch in the face from the show versailles on netflix louis the philip ii in 1780s commercialized it into the square of cool stuff you see today <sighs> so speaking of exits like lingering for too long in a crowded museum or like a snowman that doesn't melt bye for today see you at the cafe